Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Handcuff Running Back Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, joined as always by the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Been a few days, Dwayne. We tried to do a quote unquote high stakes redraft live stream together last night. Unfortunately, couldn't quite get it filled up. So keep an eye out for that one. Going to have uh, many of those coming throughout the summer. But hey, man, it's Thursday. Ready to talk some handcuffs? Still a great day to be great. Yeah, I think folks probably came in and they just saw I heart it as one of the people in the <laughs> lobby and they like, forget this. Like, like I don't even do that. Like, I, I have a I have a different name. I have a secret name that I use just so folks don't know who you are. I guess it wouldn't matter since we're probably going to stream that one live. But <laughs> that's like on a no, I, I don't want to stream that one live. That's I mean, OK, look, good. I was going to tell you I'm good with not streaming those live. We just show when, when it's underdog and even like what's 25 bucks best ball. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I'm fine with that, but if we're going, you drop three fifty to two. I don't grand. want to get sniped on a freaking like, yeah, man. So sorry, everyone. You can watch afterwards, but I'm not trying to get sniped <laughs> on two hundred grand for a couple extra views. Love all of you, but you guys could imagine. But yes, so we are basically, as you guys all know, done with the team previews. So going to be doing a bunch of these podcasts here coming up. Just trying to focus more on singular topics that still warrant uh, heavy amounts of discussion. So today, going to be going through the handcuff potential of everyone throughout the league. You can. Ke- check out an article version of this podcast over at pff.com use code pff40 to get 40 percent for subscription you can read that read all of Dwayne's locked article content all of our fantasy rankings all that and much more again that's code pff40 for 40 percent off your annual subscription Dwayne, basically with this article i went through i came up with five tiers now the one catch that i wanted to do with this was try to define what i was thinking here because There is a pathway, if enough things go right, that you can pretty much talk yourself into almost any backup running back, getting a fully featured role with enough injuries. I didn't want to just have that be kind of the basis of the study. I wanted to be realistic about what we would expect if the RB1 on every single offense went down. So with that in mind, as we go through this, tier one, solid standalone value with RB1 handcuff upside. So that standalone value part's important. That's why guys like Alexander Madison are not in this top tier. But Dwayne, the big four, A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Kareem Hunt, and Melvin Gordon. I think all of these guys could flirt with 10 to 15 touches per game without injury to their team's RB1. And based on what we've seen in Green Bay, Dallas, brief times in Cleveland with Kareem Hunt, and we haven't seen it in Denver, but we know Melvin Gordon has that three-down ability. These are guys where if the RB1 goes down, we're talking about legit upside RB1s because they don't have to leave the field at all. Yeah, I think this is the... The group. I mean, we'll talk about the ADPs as we go through them, but yeah, this is the group that you know you get excited to target in fantasy drafts, especially if you you would just went anchor RB. Maybe right, you grabbed a running back in the first round, you came back, the value was just so great at receiver in the second round, great in the third round, and then maybe you decided, well, running backs dried up, I'm just going to take my tight end or whatever in the fourth round. And let's say you get to like round six and seven, and you've just got one running back on your roster, like. This is the list. I think this is a great article like for people that are thinking about drafting that way. I mean, then we'll talk about the other tiers you have in here after this, but I think this is like that first level I look at because a lot of the guys going ahead of these guys in drafts, Ian, they don't have the talent. They've just got the opportunity, right? And yeah. so you might want to still be targeting receivers or tight ends in that range if you're worried about the quote-unquote dead zone. Um, but these guys that you've got here, what I love about a lot of them is they've also got that talent. So they can give you, to your point, that that value no matter what. If you just got to plug them in your RB2, you can probably live with it if your wide receivers are all badass and you got a good tight end. Maybe you already have a good quarterback too. Um, but 
if something happens to the starter, man, the value that you get, like it can be league winning. I, I know league winning gets thrown around a lot, so I won't try not to say it again. But like, you know, when you talk about Kareem Hunt, like I just get so excited. Dude, I've been getting more and more Kareem Hunt on underdog every single draft I do basically because he's going RB31 right now in ADP. Like, look, over the past two seasons, even working as the clear cut RB2 behind Nick Chubb, he's been the RB23 and the RB22 on a per game basis. There have been whispers out of Cleveland that maybe Hunt could be traded. I don't know why he would be released. I don't even know really why he would be traded on this affordable enough of a contract, but let's say he does. Like, Dwayne, you've thrown it out there. Kareem Hunt to the Bills. Like, we've talked about the Rams. Like, I don't see really much of a situation unless, like, what? He gets traded to Indianapolis, which just makes, like, no sense. Like, of the teams that make a little bit of sense, I don't see how Hunt is falling even further than the RB31 spot he's at now. Out of everyone in this top tier, you know, with their kind of ADP baked in, Kareem Hunt is consistently the guy I'm most excited to hit draft. Yeah. And I mean, people forget like with Hunt last year, you know, he played with injuries. So there's a few things going on, right? With Hunt. Now people are worried about Dearness Johnson. Um, you know, obviously we know there's a spot, uh, a time split, but think about cream hunt last year. You had to spend a fifth round pick on him. It's really not that different this year. Plus you have the upside of a, of a potential trade. Yeah. Dearness Johnson probably blocks him, um, you know, from like just taking over an 80% role, but cream hunt, taking over 60% of the work and you know, he's still going to be involved in the receiving game because he's so good, even though Dearness Johnson's good there as well. Like it's just, you know, in this offense, it's also going to be willing to run. I just, I don't see the downside in Kareem Hunt and round seven or eight um, and the upside you get if a trade happens, I think, you know, he could potentially be going in the top three rounds. And I mean, I think people just forget, look, last year before he got hurt, he was averaging in PPR format, 17 points a game with Nick Chubb. I mean, it's not, we're not talking about a 10 point a game player. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love Kareem Hunt. And I think you brought this up during our Browns preview, Dwayne, like we could argue that Kareem Hunt's upside with a Chubb injury is higher than Chubb's upside with a Hunt injury because last year Chubb averaged 17.5 carries and targets per game with Hunt without Hunt. 17.6. And I even took off um, week 18 and week 17, the Steelers game, where um, we found out later that Chubb was playing through the pain a little bit there. So those numbers would be even worse without that. And that's because they just don't trust Chubb for better and for worse on pass downs. They bring in Dearness for that. I don't think they're yanking Hunt off the field on pass downs for Dearness Johnson when Hunt is the regular pass down back in the first place. Maybe Dearness does come in, take some of those rush attempts, but Unfortunately, last year, we didn't like Hunt got hurt the week after Chubb got hurt. So we didn't get much of a sample size in 2021. But 2020, man, we did get a four week sample size of Hunt without Chubb in the picture in those games. First one, 23 touches for Hunt on a 70% snap rate. Next one was a 31 point loss. They pulled the offense off the field beginning of the fourth quarter. But in that game, 15 touches, 53% snap rate. And after that, man, 90% snaps, 86% snaps on 21 and 16 touches. So I think there is, you know, a chance that we see Hunt snaps closer to maybe 70% as you were uh, indicating before, but there really is a ceiling there as well. Don't be afraid to scoop up Hunt fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes right now. Second tier is good standalone value with RB1 to RB2 handcuff upside. So again, guys like Alexander Madison, guys like Rashad White, I don't have in this tier yet because we have no idea if they're going to have good standalone value. It's possible for any of these guys, but as things project right now, I don't see those type of 
talents having the same sort of standalone value as these five running backs, James Cook, Jamal Williams, Ronald Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, and Kenneth Walker. Walker was the one that I was a little bit iffy about on the standalone value because Rashad Penny, I don't really get it, but if they want to give him 20 rush attempts per game, there's not going to be a ton of meat on the bone for the rest of them there. But man, Dwayne, all these guys, like I know we have the Ronald Jones news coming out today. There was a July roster projection article that I don't think was necessarily done with like insider sources. It was just the guy's opinion, which, hey, that's that's fine. You know, Dwayne, we don't have much insider sources going on here. We just give our opinion, but it's also a July roster projection article. Chill the hell out, everyone. Each of these five, James Cook, Jamal Williams, Ronald Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker. I think if you put them in your flex on a normal week, you're not hating your life. And Dwayne, if their team starting running back goes down, again, I don't know if it's the upside RB1 that the first tier was, but we're squeezing all these guys in the starting lineups. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple guys just real quick, like James Cook. Um, I love clicking on James Cook, you know, in, in drafts. Well, one, it's tough to get any of the bills, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not crazy about Dawson Knox's talent profile. I'm not crazy about Gabe Davis at ADP. We like Gabe Davis, but like the ADP at this point, like just keeps going up and yeah, you want your exposure to him, but Cook is really the cheapest option. And if we look at it, we know Stefan Diggs is the alpha. He's the number one. Um, like he could have a 30% target share, right? That could happen. Yeah. Um, but after him, like there are enough questions with Davis, with Knox, with these other guys, Crowder, that it could be a really good, you know, there's a really good chance that all the rest of those targets are just spread out across all these guys. And in that case, like we could see James Cook get to like a 15, 16, 17% target share. I know folks are concerned that Josh Allen likes to run the ball. But what you have to remember is when you have, you know, running backs like James Cook that are more like, and I'm not saying he is Kamara, but stylistically the way he plays, um, the way he runs routes down the field, he has a plus a dot. Um, he's a guy that, you know, was, for example, like if you're Josh Allen and you look over and you can dump the ball to Zach Moss or you can just take off, like, what are you going to do? But you're Josh Allen. You're like, oh, I'm better than Zach Moss. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, tuck it and go. Whereas when you're looking at a player like James Cook, that's already four five, six yards downfield, you know, juking a linebacker, you know, or, or running a route that just leaves a linebacker, you know, basically wondering if he's playing football or like what sport he's in. Like there's just a different element. And a, a great example of that is Cam Newton didn't always throw to running backs. But what did he do once he got once he got Christian McCaffrey? Right. It's a, <laughs> it's a different kind of back. Right. And I talk about it a lot. This isn't just a swing pass back. And we know they went so heavily after JD McKissick as well, spinning the second round put pick on cook. Like I love him, man. Like explosive playmaking ability. It's the archetype we want plus involved in the receiving game. And what if, what if the bills like went after these running backs so hard Ian, because they just decide, you know what, we're, we're just going to drop back to throw 80%. We've yeah. already seen them be willing to do 70. Like what if they just want to, basically like reinvent like what an offense can look like. I think that's a possibility. And so I, I love, you know, getting James Cook, especially, you know, where you're getting an ADP, like over on underdog, it's around nine, round 10, FFPC, round nine, round 10. So those are high stakes. But if you're drafting in a home league, right, and home league ADPs are still, you know, catching up. So like if you're playing over on Yahoo, you're playing over on ESPN, like he's still, you know, he's going in the 100s there. Like he's going as the RB40 in some of these. So it's just, you know, I like his all round value and all the different formats that we cover. And this idea that he can't be an early down running back, like, okay, 
he weighed 199 pounds. If he weighed 205, like would we even be having this conversation as much? I know he didn't handle the workload of Georgia, but we've seen that from one Georgia running back after another, really, because they just have like five future pros on the roster at any given time. We did get the quote from GM Brandon Bean, who said, we see his best skill set as a sub back, but he followed that up in the very next sentence with, but I think he can handle carries too if we give him some more carries. We don't care that Austin Eckler or Alvin Kamara in the past like had a tough time topping 200 carries. If we can get those targets, which are on the table for James Cook. And remember also, when, yeah. when, when Kamara like first broke out, like he did not, he was not like a 60%, you know, rushing attempt, no. you know, person like Ruby knows, like Ruby knows, <laughs> like she's, she's talking about it right now. But like, you know, back in those days, like when you look at the rushing attempt, like Alvin Kamara's rookie year, guess what percentage of the saints carries he handled when he went nuts, by the way, and finished as the number three, you know, running back in PPR with 314 points. 40? 27%. Oh, what? See, that's what I mean. Like, it, this guy can be a 25 to 30% back and get super involved in the passing game. Now, look, I don't think it's quite the same tier because Kamara did have Drew Brees. As much as we talk about, you know, working down the field and all those things for Cook, like Drew Brees definitely wanted to check down everything, right? right. He was the underneath king. Josh Allen's still going to push the ball down the field. He's going to buy time. So I don't think we're looking at the same kind of ceiling, but there are other outs to get there because the Saints didn't, you know, pass the ball near as much as what the Bills are going to do. You know, the Bills are the Bills are above expectation and pass rate in every single game script. Whether they're leading, trailing, close, they don't care. They love to throw the football. So I think there's other ways. Um, you know, even though we we're not dealing with a quarterback like Drew Brees, that can actually help James Cook. And it's just a great offense, man. I just I want pieces of it, and it's a cheap piece. Jamal Williams next up had 20, 18, 19 touches and three starts without DeAndre Swift last year. And it's worth noting that during these starts, Jamal Williams was dealing with hip, thigh injuries, and also had a late season COVID bout. So he was not 100%. I would expect, expect his snaps to be even higher should Swift miss time again. And look, Williams, when they were both healthy, led the way in goal line carries. Like we've talked about Williams plenty on this podcast throughout the offseason. But truly, if we're trying to find a 2022 version of what James Conner was last year, I do think Jamal Williams, Melvin Gordon, and our next guy, Ronald Jones, all have pretty good cases there. Yeah. Ronald Jones, he's not making much money. I do love, uh, we had the fun best ball podcast with Hayden Winks. I hear Hayden's point where he goes, I don't want to draft anyone that's going to make less money this year than the winner of best ball mania too. Like that is a very fair uh, idea that Hayden has actually put an article up on underdogfantasy.com. You guys should go check that out. But man, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jarek McKinnon, Seventh round Pacheco running back, whose name we might have to figure out here sooner rather than later. Like this is still barely any competition for a guy that we know have seen is at least a good rusher of the football and Ronald Jones. I understand the, you know, the tale of today on Thursday is how we might not make the roster. Well, the tale last week from a different beat reporter was that he could vie for the starting job. So Ronald Jones, where he is going, happy to buy an even steeper dip. If it's going to come to fruition, also got Ramondre Stevenson and Kenneth Walker there. I don't think we need to spend, too much time on the uh, Seattle running backs, but real quickly on Stevenson, Dwayne, someone that we've gone over a couple times. If he can, it's an if, but with James White, you know, walking with the what they call it, an uncomfortable gait. Was that the verbiage? <laughs> Something like that. And, and talk about a player that has zero, not really zero dollars on a salary. It's James White. Exactly. Brandon Bolden, who did take the pass down job last year. It's not good that Brandon Bolden took it, but he did. He's out of the picture. 
There is a chance, Dwayne, that Stevenson can get the pass down role. And in that case, only splitting early down stuff with Damian Harris, I can see the path to success for Stevenson. Let's just, let's give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Let's say Pierre Strong, J.J. Taylor, Ty Montgomery. They aren't factors. They could be, but let's say they aren't. And we see a two-back backfield in New England. If it's going to be Damian Harris as the 20-carry guy and Stevenson as the 10-12 to 12 carry with the five-plus targets, we probably want Stevenson ranked even ahead of Harris, man. If that's what happens, it's a big if, but there's a path. Yeah. I mean, and Stevenson, he's definitely flashed like an explosive rush rate, a lot of different things. Um, I think the bigger concern for me with Stevenson, um, and I'm still, I'm, I'm fine with where he's going in ADP and I'm with you. I, 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 I've wrestled with him because at first I was never drafting him. Right. And I probably no. had him a little too low in the ranks and then I've kind of worked my way through it. And basically I've just taken his talent profile and said, okay, I got to at least have him in the mix here. Um, I think the bigger issue though, is, you know, when you spend a pick, that's almost identical to what you spent on Ramondre Stevenson with Pierre strong jr. Right. I think that that's the bigger concern. And they've already talked about Pierre strong jr. As a potential player in the passing down game. We've heard about them talk about installing more Kyle Shanahan concepts using wide zone. Um, type running because typically like you know the, the Patriots are one of the heaviest gap play teams like they run a lot of power concepts by far one of the most in the league and so if they're going to mix those sort of things in Pierre Strong Jr. is probably also the best wide zone runner they have on the team so I think he's the guy that's really probably the fly in the ointment but we know that you know Belichick doesn't always love rookie backs but last year we did see Stevenson was able to get out there yes he got doghoused but he got back out there but i mean and it goes back you know a long way we've seen the we've seen um, Belichick not trust the rookie backs, but I don't think it's something where I'm just hanging my hat on it. If I'm hanging my hat on one thing about the Patriots is that we know they always use three backs. Yeah. And so that's my concern. Is it going to be Pierre Strong Jr.? Is it going to be one of these other guys? Just because the point you made, like, it doesn't matter. Like, they've done it with Brandon Bolden. You know, yeah. they've done it with literally like, you know, they signed Ian Hart. It's off the street like the day before and they put nah, you I can't there. catch. I can't catch. I wouldn't get well, it's OK. You could still <laughs> rotate because you got to rotate back here. So <laughs> I, I still like him a little less than some of the other players. Um, you know, in fact, like I've been taking um, Isaiah Spiller ahead of him. I think Isaiah Spiller is in a very similar situation. Fourth round pick um, that you know, just basically fell because he had, you know, the bad combine. We're not here to like to go all over, you know, with Spiller. So I won't do that. But the way I look at it, like it's really just Eckler, like Roundtree doesn't scare me. Joshua Kelly doesn't scare me at all. And we don't have a coaching history that says, well, we're just going to get a third back involved no matter what. Um, so with a guy like Spiller, I, I just get a little more excited because I think he's probably going to have the same role as Stevenson, probably 30 to 40 percent of the work. And the upside is just more clear also in a really good offense, you know, with the Chargers. So I, I like Spiller a little more. So I'm getting less Stevenson. I think I just like that range of running backs a little more Love than them. I do the, yeah, kind of like more in the mid twenties. Like why take Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, you know, 20 picks earlier when we have now as the borderline RB three tier, Stevenson, Cordero Patterson, Melvin Gordon, James Cook, and even further, Dwayne, we get to guys like Isaiah Spiller as well. So great stuff there that people can check out in your article on PFF.com going through the ideal running back strategy round by round by round final guy in this tier. Kenneth Walker. This one's just tough, Dwayne. It, it was a weird spot for him. I don't want us to be completely out on Kenneth Walker because we both love the talent. It's just such a terrible offense to be invested in. But hey, if something happens to Rashad Penny, obviously not the poster child of staying healthy for 17 games year in and year out. 
it's going to be hard to look at Walker in that backfield and say he's going to get fewer than 15 carries during any given week. And hell, he might have the chance to take the hell over. It's annoying that I'm pretty sure DJ Dallas or Travis Homer are going to stay involved as a pass down back. But Walker and Penny, man, we've seen both flash the ability to just put up some big numbers on purely rushing production. It's an offense that's going to give it to him. The more Walker slides, Dwayne, the more I think he becomes – because he we're not basically – He's not being priced like a Damian Harris, Antonio Gibson, this early down back in a bad offense, like potentially not, not in Damian Harris's case with the Patriots. But if he's going at this point in the draft, all of a sudden it's more of like a handcuff pick. And from that scenario, I'm fine with Walker. Yeah, I think once he gets into that range, it's fine. It's just all about where his ADP, you know, is sitting, you know, and, and things are moving around right now. Like things are just, you know, really starting to pick up, you know, right now. So I think that's the key. I mean, look over on something like FFPC. He's going in round eight. I'm probably not pulling the trigger quite yet just because I like some of the other guys we talked about, like Spiller and other folks that are going, you know, two and three rounds later. But if he gets down like into the 10th round range, I like him a little more, um, you know, and honestly, like, you know, right now, like over on FFPC, you know, Penny has moved up as well. So like they go like six picks apart, mm-hmm. but used to, you could get Penny in like the round in the 10th round, you know? And so I was more willing to take, you know, Penny. And I was just, even though I love Kenneth Walker, like, and I talked about him a ton, you know, heading into the draft, you know, I was just taking the cheaper, you know, of the two options, but if they're going to both get close together, and they're going to cost like an eighth round pick. And again, this is over in a high stakes kind of format. So you look over at home leagues, it's going to be, you know, a little bit different in the way that these two, you know, are working out from an AD, from an ADP standpoint. So, but they're still pretty close. Like right now on ESPN, like he's going in the eighties, you know, for Kenneth Walker. Wow. They're one spot apart over there too, 88 and 89. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a little bit more than what I want to pay because of the offense and the fact that they could just take from each other all year. But I think your point's accurate as far as like the talent profiles there. You know, both guys, we know if you give them, you know, all the work or most of the work, right? Even if, you know, you have another passing down back you got to deal with when if one of them goes down, I think, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Like you're going to be fine with the value. The problem is, again, ADP and just some of the other backs that are that are similar that you can get two to three rounds later. I will say, and I brought this point up before with the keeper ideas for those of you in a league where you can keep one or two players at that draft spot, like Kenneth Walker, man, he is someone that could be going round two, round one next year. Like if Rashad Penny, who's on a one-year deal, goes elsewhere, Seattle commits to Kenneth Walker, and then if they just get like an average to above average quarterback, like let's say, you know, Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, like that, that'd be best case scenario i think i'm not even i'm not trying to slander them saying they're average they're better uh better than average both of them but man like even a baker mayfield type like if we could just take this offense from like the clear-cut probable worst offense in the nfl to just like 20th or something all of a sudden kenneth walker 20 touches per game becomes a lot easier to get behind tier three Yeah. yeah go ahead and they're gonna have they're gonna have an early pick like, I mean, this is a team that's projected to win four and a half games, and I'm, I would probably take the under, like, which is kind of hard to do. Like, they're going to have an early pick. Like, so they're going to be able to get it. You know, next year's quarterback class is a lot better than the one that we just saw. So I think a quarterback upgrade is imminent, you know, for this team. Um, it's going to probably happen next year. I think we could also see Pete Carroll gone. We could see this a whole revamp of the offense to your point. So I love the call if you're playing in a keeper type league and you can get a player like this, you know, ninth, tenth round, and you get to keep them next year at that same price. Love it. I know you got week 17 matchups memorized, but do you know who the Seahawks play week one? Uh, no, I just know week 17 is the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> the Broncos. 
Oh God! Well, what more evidence do you need that yeah, we're in stimulation? Right. We got Russ going against the Seahawks in Week One, and Baker going up against the Browns, both in Week One. Like this is freaking madness, Dwayne. Yeah, the Baker one's funny because it had you know he was already that game was already scheduled before the trade. We knew that you know anytime you have a big move like this, you know you're usually going to get an early season game if the league can make it happen where the quarterback faces off against its own team, its old team. Drew Locke and Russell Wilson in prime time. Sign me up. <laughs> All right, tier three here. This is the biggest one. There's a lot of guys in this tier that I think can swing, you know, could potentially swing up a tier or two. We just kind of need to deal with some of that uncertainty. So 13 situations in this one. Deontay Foreman, Khalil Herbert, Chris Evans slash Samaje Piran, Gus Edwards, Naeem Hines, Isaiah Spiller, Daryl Henderson, Alexander Madison, Michael Carter, Penny Snell, Tyrion Davis-Price, Rashad White, and Hassan Haskins. We'll touch on a couple of these. So first of all, I'm lowering my Gus Edwards exposure a little bit in Baltimore. We've gotten the J.K. Dobbins yes and no news, but honestly, we're not getting that great of medical news out of Gus Edwards either. Not that it's been negative, but it's just not much. And to have him be quite a bit older than Dobbins, we've got to question his ability to recover at the same level, even though it wasn't quite as bad of an injury. I've already gotten some Gus Edwards exposure in the 50s. He's not killing your draft to take, but for now, I'm just hesitant on him. They have do have Mike Davis there. If anything, Dwayne, I do think this could be kind of reasons to believe Baltimore could actually have to pass the ball more this year than we're expecting, even though they've spoken about it otherwise. Let's talk about the Panthers, though, a little bit here because – a lot of people, we send out our lovely running back ranks to take a look at Christian McCaffrey. They say, it's not me. I'm not doing it this year. He's just going to get hurt. What if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt then? I think it's going to be the Deontay Foreman show to an extent. It's him versus Chuba Hubbard. When you kind of look at the way the Panthers have talked about these backs, you know, specifically from one of their uh, beat reporters, they describe Foreman as a bigger and more physical complement to McCaffrey and Hubbard. I think we could see Foreman more or less take on the same role we kind of did in Tennessee after Derrick County went down. 15, maybe 20 carries in games where the Panthers were able to play with a lead. Not all that likely to happen. Target here or there, maybe Chuba takes that. But man, Dwayne, if we can get the early down work locked up for Foreman, which I do think he should be the favorite to do so, and we're competing against a guy in pass downs that lost out to something named Rodney Smith and also Amir Abdullah at different points for last season, Deontay Foreman still going in the final rounds of fantasy drafts. I think his ceiling is as a legit touchdown dependent RB2. Yeah, I mean, his PFF receiving grade actually was really good last year, 77.8. Now, he's more of the swing pass check down guy. He's not like running routes down the field or anything. Um, so it's not going to be a, a direct one for one kind of replacement at all, like for, versus what CMC can do. But yeah, I think there's definitely potential. Um, you know, I was taking Foreman a little bit more, like when the, you know, when I first started jumping into best balls. I cooled a little bit just because I'm not 100% sure. It's definitely a situation that I think we want to monitor, right, for the preseason. But if you had to put, you know, a chip down on it now, I think it's, I think Foreman is the easy chip, you know, to put. And ADP agrees. Like, Foreman typically is drafted, at least. Like, Chuba Hubbard, Hubbard never gets drafted. And so a lot of times, you know, in scenarios like this, like, you know, I kind of trust, you know, the – the masses, right? And everyone coming together to formulate, okay, which back do we think is going to lead the way? I think Foreman does make, you know, the most sense. Real quickly, Khalil Herbert, Alexander Madison. Interesting because both the Bears and the Vikings obviously went under uh, regime changes uh, with their offensive coaching staff and just overall, but a little bit of hype with Herbert potentially carving out a committee role. But I guess my concern here for both guys is that, yes, they have a chance. I think more so Herbert than Madison, considering just how cemented Dalvin Cook is. And we saw Kevin O'Connell regularly with, alongside Sean McVay lean on one running back uh, with the Rams. But 
while they could have a better chance of having a committee role behind the team starter, I'm also worried that, hey, if they're not going to give David Montgomery or maybe Dalvin Cook a featured role, why would they all of a sudden give the backup that featured role if something happens to the starter? I think we need to look at both sides of that coin and wonder, does Herbert now have the same three-down workhorse handcuff possibility if something happens to David Montgomery? Dwayne talked a little bit about, um, is it Ebner? Tristan, yeah, Tristan Ebner out of Baylor. And look, if he is going to carve out a role, it's probably going to be on pass downs. Uh, if he's going to make the roster and stuff, not a guarantee, but I just am a little more concerned about both Herbert and Madison's three down handcuff potential. And Madison in particular, we are paying a hefty price. He was good, Dwayne. He has been good fantasy wise when Cook has missed time, but Man, like Madison last year, if you look at his numbers, like he's one of, I think, the bigger, except like if you just looked at, if you had him on your fantasy team, I get it that you're happy about the, you know, fantasy points that came out of it. Was not a very good real life running back. Uh, and I do wonder if Kane Nuwanu, one of the more explosive rookies in the league last year, the things he was able to do as a kick returner could carve into that role a little more than we're maybe giving it credit for. You really do have to pay a premium at this point to get Madison as a handcuff. I have not been nearly willing to do so as the off season's worn on. One other point though, we talked about Deontay Foreman in Carolina. Who's replacing him in Tennessee behind Derek Henry, seemingly Hassan Haskins. Dwayne, have you heard the name Julius Chestnut before? Yeah, I've heard okay. it. I don't know anything about him, but... I've gone on, you know, I like to tweet as I'm writing articles and I was mentioning how Hassan Haskins is just one of these guys. A lot of times doesn't even go an 18 round draft. So he's still there. And he, I just think he's a good dart at the end, particularly if you're in drafts now where you, you know, you're supposed to take a kicker or defense, like take Hassan Haskins and God forbid something happens to Derrick Henry. Now you have a guy that's going to be going a lot higher or if nothing happens, you cut him and you get the defense that was probably still going to be there anyway before week one. But there is actually a Julius Chestnut hive out there for the slippery rock, I believe, running back, thinking he can take away the potential role from Hassan Haskins. So, hey, I I don't want to rule out any player before we see him take some professional snaps, Dwayne. But undrafted free agents, usually not beating out guys that have legit draft capital. I think Haskins would be the favorite to work ahead of Dontrell Hilliard on early downs without Derrick Henry. And man, Dwayne, Again, just like Deontay Foreman, we can do a lot worse than 15 to 20 carries inside of a potentially not terrible offense and the last round of the fantasy draft. Yeah, and it's, you know, on Haskins, like I just haven't done as much in like best ball lately because, you know, you can't like once you make the pick, like you can't undo it. But like in managed leagues where you can just dump someone like Haskins, like we're going to know. And like if so, if you're drafting early, like before we know some of this information based on preseason, like these to your point, like the strategy should be throw as many of these players on the end of your roster as you can. And then whichever ones you don't want, like you just shed the weight. But, you know, Haskins is a late round pick, too. So it's not like, you know, this is not a guy that went in the fourth round or fifth round. He was a sixth round pick, I think, Ian, like if I'm remembering correctly. So he was, you know you know, it's nearly an undrafted free agent. So I think there's a lot of questions. I think Dontrell Hilliard, you know, there's been a lot of positive buzz around him. He's, you know, if you get a situation where Derrick Henry goes down, I think Hilliard's going to be evolved in the passing game anyway. But if you have a situation where, you know, Henry goes down, Hilliard's role is going to expand some, right? And then one of these other two players, or maybe all of them, I think that's the one thing that's also just kept me a little bit, you know, more afraid, you know, with Haskins, other than the fact that a six rounder could get cut is just the fact that, you know, most likely they're just going to spread it around across two or three players. Um, you know, if we get a situation where Derek Henry's gone. Good point. Actually a fourth rounder to be fair. Is he fourth? Okay. Okay. Fourth. Okay. My bad. But no, but the point about Hilliard, 
that's how I look at Indianapolis. Maybe I should be looking at uh, Tennessee. Fourth way better. I don't know why I was thinking six. So. It's okay, man. We're talking about a lot of players here. Uh, no, but what you brought up about Hilliard, I mean, it's arguably he's kind, his role is pretty similar to what Naeem Hines is doing in Indianapolis mm-hmm. right now. If Jonathan Taylor goes down, I have Naeem Hines in this tier. No, I don't think it becomes a Melvin Gordon situation where Naeem Hines just starts playing every single snap potentially because even before Jonathan Taylor was there, like Marlon Mack would get hurt and then we have to see Naeem Hines losing snaps to Jordan Wilkins out there on early downs. With that said, though, 10 to 12 carries plus five or more targets. Like, we'll take that guy over the guy getting 15 to 20 carries. So should, maybe we should be Hilliard over Haskins, Dwayne, because I know I'm Naeem Hines over Philip Lindsay. Well, I think with Haskins, to your point, the upside is still that if there, if there were to be a back that they on the team that they just decided you're going to get Derrick Henry's role and we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, I think the only one we could give it to would be Haskins. Right? We know there are a lot of these other scenarios, but I do think the upside for Haskins is the biggest because he fits the profile they like, right, with what they're doing with Derrick Henry. Kind of like what we saw with Foreman. But remember, last year when Foreman first took over, like, it was it was a big committee. It wasn't until later in the, in the season, you know, that he had some of his bigger games, um, you know, for the Titans after Derrick Henry was out. It didn't happen immediately. But I think, to your point, Haskins, if we had to pick one, he's the one that best profiles to be similar um, to Derrick Henry. And a fourth-round pick is a lot is a lot better than a, than a sixth. With Hines, just real quick, because I had a little bit of pushback when I put this lovely article out there on the Twitter webs. Double-digit carries in just four of his 68 career games, including playoffs. He's never he's at averaged 70.5 rush attempts per season throughout his career. I heard the Frank Wright quote. He said, if I was a fantasy owner, I consider drafting Naheem. That's great. Look at week 18, man. When they were losing to the freaking Jaguars, like this was the sort of game script that should really help Naeem Hines. Nine total snaps, just two touches. We saw, like, Dwayne, we were cursing Frank Reich, like, the entire first five, six weeks of the year because Jonathan Taylor legit was not getting all the every-down uses that he deserved. Reich, listen, he started giving it to Taylor. Unfortunately for Hines, he's just playing behind maybe the single best running back in the league, and Frank Reich has shown willingness to not necessarily overload him on early downs. A couple more guys from this tier. The thing with Hines, just real quick, like, is when you look at the Colts, they were very fortunate from a game script standpoint last year. They got to play with a lead all the time. Like if that regresses just back like to the NFL average, that alone is going to boost snaps for Naheem Hines. Um, they're just so with Hines last year. Yes, JT is the undisputed, you know, number one on the team. But a lot of the situations where Hines gets used, like they just weren't in those situations. Like it just worked out really perfectly, honestly, for Jonathan Taylor um, in the way that the season played out. So I think just on regression alone, Naheem Hines is going to see more playing time this year. Looking at Isaiah Spiller, someone you just brought up a second ago. Last season, Justin Jackson had one spot start in place of Austin Eckler, got 73% snap rate, 11 carries, scored twice, also caught eight passes for 98 yards. Now that he's a free agent, it does seem like Spiller is the favorite to take that role ahead of Larry Roundtree and Joshua Kelly, who you provided just, you know, some pretty hellacious stats, Dwayne, about just how bad they have been during their short time in the league. The reason, though, why Spiller is not in an above tier is because Kelly Jackson, Roundtree last season, they all combined for just 137 carries and 33 targets. So that alone, if we could get all that, 100% of that over to Spiller, yeah, I think he could have some standalone value. I think it's unlikely to expect him to completely displace Roundtree and Kelly, though, and for that reason, I look at him more so as a better handcuff. But with that said, the range he's going, that's fine if he's just a handcuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a little different. I, I I think he could actually just take over all that. Like, it's just it's and it's also because Roundtree and Kelly are so bad. I, I don't I don't think it's crazy to think that they just don't touch the ball. Period. Um, I mean, they've seen them long enough. Like the explosive play rates are super low for both guys. They don't cause missed tackles. There's just not a lot that they do. And really Spiller is just a much better comp to, you know, what you can get out of Eckler. You know, he's a true every down back with, with those guys, they were kind of mix and matching parts, you know, to see what you could get to, to try to make up for Eckler. Spiller's profile is a back that all around, like, you know, average more yards per game than any of these other backs, you know, over his career that came out in the draft this year. Um, and that goes back to whenever he accounted for a large portion of AM's, you know, uh, yardage and touchdowns, even as a rookie, even as freshman season. So, you know, he broke out early in college, still a really young player. He has the every down profile. You know, Kelly does, didn't ever have an every down profile. We never had an every down profile with Roundtree. They were basically draft to be bangers that could maybe help relieve Eckler. I think with Spiller, they've got a much more diverse player they can actually take over Eckler's role or they can substitute if he gets hurt or they can sub him in and do a lot of the same things that they do with Eckler which I think just makes a huge difference um, versus what we saw with Roundtree and with what we saw with Joshua Kelly Daryl Henderson like I'm I'm here on the Cam Akers bandwagon guys I'm, I'm happy to draft him round four if he's there in round five I'm hitting draft every single time but if you aren't Where's the love for Daryl Henderson, man? Where he's going right now, again, has the same handcuff upside as a lot of guys. We saw what happened last year without Cam Akers. I mean, here are the Henderson snap rates before he actually got hurt in week 12. 94%, 68, 90, 66, 82, 88, 61, 60, 75, 81%. He was the RB11 in expected PPR points per game during the stretch and RB15 on a per game basis. Like that is a fantastic handcuff floor to fall back on. Sonny Michelle, we saw the same thing when he stepped in there. So most recent sample size in the Super Bowl, it was Akers 37 snaps, Henderson 21 snaps, 13 to four carry lead for Akers, four to five targets lead actually in the favor of Henderson. So Dwayne, I do lean towards it more being the Acres show, but again, just for the handcuff value alone, I think Henderson is perfectly fine as like the RB 45 right now. Yeah. And I think most likely we're still going to see Henderson involved. Like we don't know how much, but you know, he's going to be out there. Um, I don't think it's going to be 80% Acres, right? It might be like, you know, 60, 25, and then somebody else getting a little bit, um, you know, so he can give you the spike week upside, but the biggest thing is, you know, what you mentioned, um, you know, he plays in a great offense, you know, in the Rams, it's the AFC and the NFC West are going to have to score points. Um, you know, Henderson to me, like is one of these guys that like, I honestly, I'm drafting him a ton. You know, I've got him in the same tier, honestly, with Ramondre Stevenson and Ronald Jones and a lot of the other guys we've already talked about. He's in, he's, you know, in drafting, you know, he should be in the same tier as those guys. Um, but people do let him slide. You know, he, he goes close to those, but he is a name that you'll see slide down the board um, quite often. And I, I just don't let him go by. I'm like, okay, fine. Nobody wants Daryl Henderson. Like I'm taking him. And he's going past like the first 60 wide receivers on underdog. Again, that's why uh, as much as you guys can follow what Dwayne's trying to preach in his quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end strategy, like that's what a lot of it comes down to. It's just kind of knowing the right spots of the draft where we can draft guys like Daryl Henderson uh, and feel better about the receivers we're taking maybe earlier at different points. Another running back going right around this range is Michael Carter. 144.6 spot ADP and Carter Dwayne was someone that we were really high on before the draft and they added Brees Hall now obviously that hurts Carter's like Carter's not going to finish as an RB2 or anything as long as Brees Hall has anything to say about it but if you look at his rookie season man 
overall PPR RB 29 had six finishes inside the top 24. Like they gave him a 70% snap or more role on three separate occasions. And he had at least 15 combined carries and targets in six games. Like they were willing to feature Carter as a three down back for stretches of last season. And he was awesome. All those same Javante Williams stats that people jerked themselves off to at night. Those all apply to Michael Carter as well, man. He averaged like 0.01 fewer missed tackles forced per attempt when you actually include the receiving stuff into it as well. I think some of his receiving numbers are fluky and just from the Mike White experience more than anything, but he's still, he's not bad at receiving. I'm just not going to necessarily say he's Alvin Kamara just yet, but you know what, Dwayne, if he's ending up in that group, there's worse things to be a part of. Same thing with Albert O. Even if I'm a little skeptical of if he's that good, it's pretty damn good for him to be in that group in the first place. Like Michael Carter for me, man he's right there with daryl henderson and it makes sense they're going next to each other adp i just think their adp is too low we could get some standalone value it's not a guarantee but just for their handcuff value they seem too underpriced yeah i mean carter really was just below like that elite tier like as far as and i agree like you can't give him that yet um but as far as being you know a good receiver he was also profiled as a really good receiver coming out of college out of the backfield so like we're just stacking up data points it isn't like this just happened out of nowhere Carter was profiled to be a really good receiver coming out. Then he came out and he actually, you know, really scored well across all the metrics we look at, you know, as far as a receiver out of the backfield had a positive a dot. This is not just a swing pass type of guy. Yeah. It is a help when you have a check down quarterback. Yeah. But that also helped Alvin Kamara. Right. <laughs> I mean, it also probably helped CMC by the point, you know, he was playing with Cam Newton, right. It wasn't the same shoulder that we were used to seeing with Newton back in the younger days. So those things are all factors, but at the end of the day, like he still did a really good job, you know, uh, in that role. So I, I like Carter, you know, the difference between him and some of these other guys that we've talked about, like the spillers, right. Um, the Darrell Henderson's, um, the Ronald Joneses of the world. He just doesn't play on the same type of offense, right. Yeah. The jets could get better. They need a big step forward from Zach Wilson. We know they've added Garrett Wilson in the draft. So, I mean, they, they've, they've got the weapons to put out a quality offense if the quarterback can improve, but that's still a big question mark. Like, we know that the Rams, unless there's a big injury, they're going to be a good offense, right? We know that the Chiefs, yeah, they're not going to be as good as they were with Tyreek Hill probably, but they're going to be a good offense. We know that, you know, Melvin Gordon with the Broncos is going to be a good offense. So I put Carter at the bottom of the tier, not because of his talent, but because if, if you're right, right, and you hit – what are you getting with the atmosphere, yeah. right? The team environment that he's playing in. And it's just a little bit less than some of these other guys, like even like Spiller. Another one that I think you'd have to put even lower than Carter in this uh, tier. And again, these are not, I have, Troy and I both have different rankings here. Again, it's just a lot of variables go into this. That's why I think it's better to discuss it than just necessarily put a number next to him and call it that. But Benny Snell, look, if Najee Harris gets hurt, I don't understand why Benny Snell's the next guy up lot either but he is Kalen Balage, who seemed like that guy last season remains a free agent and the Steelers man they have given Snell at least 15 carries on eight separate occasions over the years I mean that number surprised me only 22 targets in 46 career games that's the issue we are not going to see him like step into the Najee Harris role but similar to Deontay Foreman similar to Hassan Haskins I do think that 15 plus carry upside is on the table is that worth even a top 18 round pick? No, I will take Benny Snell before I will take a kicker though. My name's Ian Harditz and I approve that message. This does seem like a situation though, along with like the Giants where again, if something happens to Najee, like Dwayne, I, I'd almost just expect like, give me the field on like free agent running backs probably that we prefer over Benny potentially at that point. Yeah, and, and the issue for Snell is just that the talent profile is, it's it's not just bad. Like it's like, you know, I don't know, like, 
a dead person bad. Like, oh, you know, I mean, a corpse uh, would be the best, would be the equivalent. Sorry, you know, Benny, look, you're an NFL player. I'm not. So, you know, you, you can have the last, last laugh for sure. But yeah, it's just tough. It's tough. And it's tough to think that they won't do something to add someone to write, to, to help complement. But I think, you know, right out of the gate, like say, say you have Najee Harris get hurt in week two, right? Knock on wood. We don't want that to hurt. We don't want that to happen at all. But Benny Snell's going to be on the wire like in every league. And yeah. so like that that very next week, he's probably going to give you 20 touches like because it, it'll, it'll take the team a few weeks to figure out what they're going to do. Right. And what backs they are going to add, how they're going to get them acclimated, that sort of thing. So you probably are going to get some immediate value. And who knows, maybe maybe Benny Snell, you know, surprises us. This offense is going to change. You're going to see a lot more under center type of work. Um, so Matt Canada, there were a lot of things he wanted to do last year that he couldn't do because of Ben Roethlisberger. And so he's going to get to do those things. And maybe that helps Snell out, you know, to some degree. We've still got a challenge with the offense offensive line. Um, I know volume is, matters more than the offensive line, obviously, um, but there are just enough questions with Snell and his talent profile and the offensive line and, and all those sort of things that, to your point, I'm not really messing with him, but I mean, I would put a little money on him as a, as a free agent if I was just in a complete pinch, like heading into week three and I knew he was the starter you know, for the Steelers. You're never going to see us recommend, oh my God, Benny Snell, 60% of your fab. Watch, <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to get hurt and Snell's going to go off in like week four for like 40 points and we're going to be forced with oh well okay what how much fab should someone spend on benny snell because no one picked him up last week um but yeah uh, it's it's there there are other there are other players you're going to be rostering at the end of your draft but i think to your point like the way you built this out and i love the logic that you use like he needs to be on the list yeah fun point you mentioned there about how the offense could just do a lot of the little things better in the post Roethlisberger era. Uh, shout out John Daigle over four for four. He's been on this podcast many times. Uh, he actually figured out that the Steelers last year in the preseason with no big Ben were first in pre-snap motion and tied for eighth in play action rate in the regular season with Ben 27th in pre-snap motion, 30th in play action rate. Things like that could hopefully get more out of a lesser talent, such as Benny Snell. Final. Bax will tell you they like, and you've been a back before Ian Bax will tell you they like, to run from when the quarterback's under center. Like it's just a different experience than when you're in shotgun and mostly in shotgun, all you're doing is running inside zone the whole time. So one of the benefits, like when you're playing under center is just, you're kind of opening up more of not that you can't do the other concepts, right. From shotgun teams have figured out ways to get creative. Um, But wherever you can get your momentum going and you're allowing your, you know, blocks to already be moving in front of you, there's just, you know, you hear backs talk about it a lot, how they would much prefer to be running, you know, lined up behind the quarterback under center than, you know, in shotgun. Well, that's why pistol formations have been so interesting because they take away the tell. Now, I know some running backs are just good enough and agile enough where they can, you know, line up to the left of the quarterback and still bend it all the way back to the left. So just because, you know, a running back is lined up on one side in the shotgun doesn't mean they have to run to the other side, but it does happen a lot. And to your point, I think it's just more unpredictable in general to be uh, trying to hone in on this stuff because the play action thing, especially, man, like this is why I had such a freaking messed up high school sports cycle sometimes because a linebacker you know in the fall it's like okay Ian no matter what first step up we'll we'll adjust to play action first step up and then the spring I go play baseball okay Ian outfield first step back (laughs) Back. first step back no matter what and so you know make one good catch on a line drive and then the next game you know three fly balls are going over my head screw that sport okay two more in this tier here San Francisco 49ers running back Tyrion Davis Price 
number one in PFF's highest graded uh, pass blocker coming out of draft eligible running backs. I went to dig into what the 49ers have been saying about him, and I thought that was maybe going to be it. Not so much, Dwayne. We actually got quotes from Anthony Lynn, really just talking about his physicality time and time again. They were bringing up this like one run he had against. I forget if it was Alabama or whoever, but it was only like an eight yard run, but they said like his speed, his top speed that he was able to get up to so quick uh, was like better than almost any other running back that they measured. I think there's a legit chance that we see this be a two back committee with Elijah Mitchell and Tyrion Davis price getting somewhat, somewhat equal early down work last year. We don't know what they were going to do because Raheem Mostert got hurt after his second freaking carry of the season. And we're not sure if it was going to be the Raheem Mostert show or if it was going to be split up between him and Elijah Mitchell. Obviously, a Trey Sermon experiment did not work. Still could see what happens. We have Jermichael Hasty there. We have Jeff Wilson there. Kyle Juszczyk is always there if they just really don't trust anyone else. But man... I think the reason why TDP is this cheap is because we got burned on their third round pick last year, but man, Dwayne, we still have a third round running back going to Kyle Shanahan. Like let's not let a one year sample size completely distract us from Tyrion Davis price, especially given that at least in terms of theoretical three down ability, we know they're not going to throw Elijah Mitchell the ball. I think they could with Tyrion Davis price. If something happened to Mitchell. Yeah. Tyrion Davis price should be drafted in all leagues, all formats. And a lot of home leagues right now, he's going undrafted. You know, he's a guy that you can get in round 15 or later. Um, so, uh, like, make him your last pick. You know, that's if we can give you one tip right now, if you're going to be drafting any sort of league like that here soon, just make TDP your last pick. I mean, you hit on all the salient things um, that I would hit on. Also, you know, Evan Silva a couple of weeks ago was talking about Tyrion Davis Price. You know, I thought he made a lot of good points. I went on their podcast with them earlier this week and we were actually just talking about all the running backs and we just and we discussed TDP again. And again, a lot of the things that, you know, you said, but, you know, if you go back to last year, the other the other part of this, right, that's the wild card is, you know, it wasn't like they didn't want Trey Sermon to succeed like he just didn't. And Trey Sermon was really meant to be more of that inside kind of banger. And that's really where Evan's coming from, is he thinks that Tyrion Davis Price is actually drafted to be what they hoped Trey Sermon would be. And Elijah Mitchell is more, you know, the speed, the jet back, you know. And so I think there's a real possibility that that scenario plays out. Um, and to be honest, like if I'm taking one of the two in drafts, again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. I'm taking Tyrion Davis Price over Elijah Mitchell. Um, I don't think I think there's a really good chance Elijah Mitchell's not the featured back, right? And I don't think I don't think it has to be a stretch to say that yet. Like we we just we've seen such a track record with Shanahan. It'd be one thing, you know, if he's just stopped drafting these running backs, but when you, when Elijah Mitchell has the season he has, and then you turn around and spend a third round pick on Tyrion Davis price, which most people in the NFL thought was a reach, by the way, like you didn't have to do that. Like you could have taken him later. That, that lets you know, they fell in love with this player and they wanted to make sure that they got him. Now they fell in love with a bad player last year that, you know, burned a lot of us and Trey Sermon. So there's still a chance Tyrion Davis price just isn't any good. And that helps Elijah Mitchell out. But at the end of the day, right now, all we have is the draft capital. Um, and we know that they continue to use these picks and we know that they're willing to rotate backs. We also know that, you know, Shanahan can be super fickle, man. Like he can change his mind, like, you know, on a whim. Like yeah. it, it, Elijah Mitchell could come out and be good for two weeks and all of a sudden he's benched in week three. There's just crazy stuff that goes on with this team. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I love TDP, one of my most rostered backs. Maybe Mitchell was the best running back when Jimmy G was under center. And now to compliment Trey Lance, they like someone that's a little bit stronger between the tackles. A lot of different possibilities out here. I am with you versus ADP. Give me TDP. Last one in this tier, Rashad White. Feels like a trap here. 
Dwayne. This feels like the talented rookie who got good, not great draft capital, who is clearly behind a starter who we just talk ourselves into, even though nothing, no football has actually been played this entire time that Rashad White's stock is going up. I understand Leonard Fournette reportedly showed up at 260 pounds and the Buccaneers aren't thrilled about that because they just gave him $24 million to not be 260 pounds. But on the other hand, you know, Derrick Henry shows up at 260 pounds and we just talk about what a beast he is. Leonard Fournette shows up at 260 and we just assume he's completely being a fat ass about it. So I know we got burned on Eddie Lacy in the past, but when I see Leonard Fournette, man, I see a running back that like, who cares about the weight when we have Brian, Byron Leftwich's word that he doesn't want him off the field, man. Everything that Fournette can do with Brady, there's a reason why he was on pace to lead all running backs in receptions last year. Not because he's Austin Eckler good or anything, but because he has that mind meld with Tom Brady right now and they committed to him financially. If it's a pure handcuff upside pick, that's fine. But I think the idea that Rashad White's going to noticeably and meaningfully eaten to the pass down work in year one. That's where I draw a line a little bit, man, because it's not just Fournette. Like where's Keyshawn Vaughn in this? He was getting legit playoff snaps last year and I've seen the Raz scores guys, but man, it's how is this not a little bit concerning when, you know, we just talked about how Tyrion Davis price is being seemingly as cheap as he is because we got burned by Trey Sermon. Did we learn nothing from Keyshawn Bond a few years ago? And now we're just saying, oh, no, that was just, he was an objectively worse player. They took 15 spots ahead of Rashad White for some reason. They messed up and it'll be no different because we're having to pay a premium to make that assumption. And hell, man, Giovanni Bernard was keeping Fournette away from the pure pass down work for a good portion of last year. Again, White with the, with the theoretical three down skill set, the size, the receiving ability. Okay, out of all these backups, I agree, he holds the most handcuffed value. I draw the line, though, at expecting much of a standalone value. Like, I think by the time week one comes around, I'd be more confident in Tyrion Davis-Price, Michael Carter, uh, Daryl Henderson, Isaiah Spiller, maybe even Khalil Herbert. I'd be more confident all those guys having a larger standalone role than Rashad White. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think the thing with White, where it is very different than Keyshawn Vaughn, and it's not just like hindsight. You know, look, the Bucks reached on Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, everybody knows that um but Keyshawn Vaughn just didn't profile like in the things that we we look at like he didn't really profile as a good player yeah um draft capital matters the most but like when you put the whole picture together Rashad White grades out a lot better than what Keyshawn Vaughn did you know as a rookie um and to your point like he has the every down skill set and there's just enough doubt with Lenny right with the weight thing like I definitely don't like the Leonard Fournette weight thing like I'm buying the ADP dip as it's like happening right in front of me um, like I, I'm like, okay, fine. You want to give me four minute in the middle of the third now, because you know, um, he ate an extra hamburger. Okay. Um, I'm doing it, but it's not that I like it. Not I, ideal. I still it's would, not I'd ideal. still much right. rather him show, because here's the thing with Fournette and I'm not a psychologist, but you know, he's one of these players that, you know, he's definitely had some issues, you know, as far as being able to, you know, as far as work ethic and things like that with his coaching staff. So, you know, some people are just wired that way, Ian, like they work really hard and then like they get a chance and they kind of want to take a breather and Fournette could just be one of those players. Again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not saying that's him, but the weight thing is enough. Like it's just enough of a, I think I just get triggered by Fournette because, you know, I was, you know, going to in a spot to win a huge DFS payday one day, one time, and he pulled his helmet off, you know, on the field and got kicked out of the game. Like, and, and I think like 
it was like less than 1% of the field had Fournette uh-huh. that day, <laughs> you know, and it was one of those deals where I like had him in every build I had. And I was sitting there going, yes, you know, it's one of those where my wife's like, what are you cheering about? I'm like, look at this, you know, you're like, you got all the money. And you're like, I should have never showed her that. Cause the end of the night, she's like, show me your screen again. And you show it to her. It's like 12 bucks. Like, yeah. It was, you know, it used to say like 25 grand. Now it says $12. Um, <laughs> so she doesn't listen to me anymore after that day. She's like, just let me know when you win the money. But anyway, oh <laughs> um, so that's amazing. <laughs> so, so yeah, but with with White, it does come down to the talent profile, what we saw in college, how well he was able to to demand targets. I I think it's within the realm of possibility that he could carve out some of the passing down role. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm with you. Like if you asked me, hey, I got to pick in this tier, Dwayne. I'm looking at that you have. You got Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White. I got to pick one of them to start Week One. Rashad White's last. He would be last. Like I would yeah. be like, find a way to not start him. I think I feel much better about all the guys I just named as far as having a week one role. But ask me what that might look like in week 10. Like it could be different, right? And so it's just, it's, it's about you're getting access to the Bucks offense. You're getting access to a three down profile. You're getting access to a player that could theoretically, he was such a good receiver in college, carve out some of the passing down role. Um, you know, so I mean, I think there's a lot of outs for white, but to your point, if you're just looking at week one, you know, you got to be really careful with a guy like Rashad white based on the offense. And again, this is why it's a tricky study. Cause we can't just look at every single running back mm-hmm. and say, give them 25 touches and who's the best. Cause we can't expect every running back to get the same workload. If we took everyone this tier though, and we said, Hey, in your offense, you're getting 25 touches. You could argue that he's at the top of it just yes. by being attached to a check down artist like Tom Brady. Not that Brady doesn't do more. I'm not sliding him, but he throws the ball to the running backs a lot. All right. Now, that's that. Yeah. You know, well, with Brady, what's crazy is like his ADOT is actually really good for his yeah. time to throw. Like it's ridiculous the, the dude gets rid of the ball quick. So people think he's checked down, but really like he's still getting, you know, his ADOT still up over an eight, sometimes like at a nine, but to your point, it's all about the offense, yeah. and that's what people are betting on. Um, and the tough part with White is a lot of times on drafts, and you know this, you've been drafting, he goes ahead of every player we just named. Yeah. He's the first one to go off the board. So the way I handle White as far as exposure goes, especially with best ball, I just, I'm only taking him at ADP or below, typically, yeah. um, just because people are reaching for him so much, and I can still get the other players that I like. So He's a player I definitely, and I have a lot of exposure, you know, to Rashad White. So it's not like I'm underweight on him, but it is a scenario where people, you know, they get super excited because it's the Bucks, and 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 rightfully so because the to your point, if we had to name all these offenses and everybody gets 25 carries, he's going to go to the top of the list. Tier four, got five groups here. Combination of shaky standalone value and middling handcuff upside. Not only are we concerned about what they're going to give us week to week, but also even if an injury happens, I'm not overly convinced any of these guys would necessarily leap into even the top 24 at the position. Miami Dolphins running back Raheem Mostert. One year, $3.1 million deal. We don't know even if he's going to be able to beat out Sony Michelle, though. Miles Gaskin is still there. Chase Edmonds should be the leader of this. I would think based on Mostert's age, based on the 49ers reluctance, and now Mike McDaniel himself, their reluctance to overly feed him when he was healthy over the years. I just don't know that Mostert, whether Edmonds is healthy or not, is ever going to be more than around a 10 carry per game type of back. 
New Orleans Saints running back Mark Ingram, 33 in December. Saints have already been kind of flirting with different veteran running backs all throughout the offseason. I know he had the 85 and 72% snap rates in his first two games without Kamara last season. I'm just really skeptical they would sign up to do that again for like a six-week stretch if Kamara gets suspended. Maybe if Kamara goes down, uh, Ingram will get that sort of workload for a week or two. But for an extended stretch, I'm just not confident at all the Saints would be willing to feature Ingram to that extent. Also, New York Giants running back Matt Breida. Right now, the next man up behind Saquon Barkley. And hey, if we're in a 23-round draft or something, take Matt Breida ahead of a kicker because at a minimum, his value will be a hell of a lot higher than that should something happen to Saquon. But man, just seems like another situation where it wouldn't be at all surprised if someone like a Devontae Freeman winds up coming to town if he gets hurt because we saw him in this offense with Brian Dable. Like similar thing with Raheem Moster and McDaniel and in San Francisco, we already saw Dable unwilling to give Brita the full three down roll in Buffalo. I'm not sure why he would in New York. Final two situations, NFC East squads, Philadelphia Eagles running backs, Boston Scott and Kenneth Gamewell. I got some pushback here on Gamewell. People love this dude, man. And I'm not saying he wasn't a good prospect coming out. All these Memphis running backs are seemingly just one freak athlete that can catch the ball after another. But man, really fell out of the favor of the offense as soon as they became this rush heavy unit i mean miles sanders boston scott jordan howard all these guys were being used first and foremost ahead of game well on the ground he did get some of the more more so of the pass down work but a lot of that was coming with miles sanders banged up as well like I, to me Dwayne, and you know check me if i'm wrong here i just look at game well kind of like our next guy jd mckissick in washington alongside brian robinson like i think it might be like a limitless number of running backs that need to get hurt for game well to get the early down work. I don't, they brought in Jordan Howard off the street last year before they were willing to give game. Well, more carries Boston Scott got resigned. He's consistently been the starter when miles Sanders is out of the picture. I just feel like game Well's role with or without miles Sanders. It's just like JD McKissick's role with or without Antonio Gibson doesn't really change. I think you could argue in terms of like, I get that we want the pass catcher ahead of the early down guy. We've already gone through this with Indianapolis and Tennessee, but you could argue that just in terms of like where their ranking is going to change, an injury to Miles Sanders is going to move Boston Scott more than Gamewell, just like an injury to Gibson would move Brian Robinson more than J.D. McKissick. Yeah, I think this is one, though, that you just have to I'm, – I'm going to bet on the younger player that we still know there's the wider range of outcomes for. Like we know what McKissick is for sure. There's still at least a chance – with Gainwell that if something happens with Miles Sanders, he just, you know, he does get 50% of the work, right? I think it's in the range of outcomes. We know that's not happening for JD McKissick, especially after spending a third round pick right on Brian Robinson. Um, I also think there's a better chance that Gainwell could eat into what Miles Sanders is doing than JD McKissick, you know, furthering his role into what Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson are doing. So I, I, I get where you're coming from because I struggled a lot with Gainwell earlier, you know, in the off season, um, but part of my process is like looking at ADP and eventually like it does weight into what I'm doing. So I'm below consensus on Kenneth Gainwell, but I've at least got him in a range where I'm willing to draft him now. He was a really good you know, receiver last year, 73.6 PFF receiving grade, 25% targets per route run, uh, 1.8 ADOT. So this is the kind of guy we're talking about that is working down the field. And again, like we know for sure what J.D. McKissick is. There's still a chance we don't know for sure what Kenneth Gainwell is because it's just such a it's a smaller sample that we're dealing with. It could very well turn out to your point, Ian, they're the same exact thing. Like I think that's very much on the range of outcomes. But because 
he's so young, there's still that chance that it's more, you know? So I think that's really where it comes from. And, and to your point with Boston Scott, like he's a good player, you know, and they re-sign him like Boston Scott, every time like the Eagles need him, like he does what they need. He does what they need him to do. Like, and this is a guy that Sean Payton, you know, used to love back in the day, you know, with the saints and he's managed to stick around the league, but Gainwell is a guy that they spent at least some draft capital on last year. We've got the same coaching staff back. So I think there's just a little bit more opportunity. Will he pay off at ADP? I don't know, but it's not hyper expensive, right? We're talking about these rounds where you're going in 12, 13, 14. Can you I'm see how gonna... it's, can you see how it's moved? Because he's RB 50 right now, underdog. I'm more so okay with that. I feel like earlier this offseason, he was creeping up to that RB 40 line. Yeah, give me a I... second. I, I can pull it up. Because as I, yeah. I too like to keep in mind with the ADP and earlier in this off season, I just couldn't get behind it. But now when I'm getting to drafts and I'm starting to see game Will's name pop up, it's at a more reasonable area with it. I would say, say though, I don't think I made this uh, clear. Jordan Howard remains a, a free agent. The athletic has reported that there's a possibility they do go ahead and just bring him back. That's one of the concerns with miles Sanders uh, getting the goal line role, but he's not wearing the Eagle on his helmet right now. Uh, can't necessarily assume he will become week one. Do you have that up, Dwayne? Yeah. So with Gainwell, I had to switch because I was on the main event for FFPC. Thanks, Fantasy Mojo, for this data. Um, Gainwell, you know, if you go, he's really close to where he's been. Like he's oh, basically right. been in around 11 to round four, uh, 13 pick, but really his ADP has tightened, you know, a lot over the last like three weeks. He's basically always going between rounds 10 and round 12 now. And it's, it's he's just kind of hovers along, you know, in that range. So if you got to take him in round 10, nope, not doing it. You know, if, if I need a back and like, let's say that I'm sitting there and I've, I, I took one running back early um, in the first three rounds, I came back and I grabbed, let's say uh, Kareem hunt, you know, and the seventh round, he's my RB two. And let's say I managed to get Isaiah Spiller and Kenneth Gainwell's there, and I know I still need a fourth. Like, I'm willing to pull the trigger, like, on Kenneth Gainwell. I'm just not going to take him ahead of Isaiah Spiller. Probably yeah. not going to take him ahead of even Rashad White, even though I think, you know, there's a better chance he could give you some, maybe a little bit of standalone value if he can take over the passing down role. Might be a better chance for him than Rashad White. I don't know. Um, you know, according to your article, no. I mean, there are there are more obstacles for Gainwell than there probably are for Rashad White. So I think he's fine in that range, though. Um, it's just, you know, I'm not going to reach for him. Agree with me on Mostert, Ingram, and Brita yeah. in those situations. Ingram was the tough one, though, because they did pay him a little bit, and we do have those two data points from last season. It's, it's just so how I, much can he hold up, really, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a 33-year-old back. I, I, I love Mark Ingram. You know, he's been a good player for a long time. He was a great player at Alabama. Um, but, I mean, once you're at 33 years old with, with the carries he has on him, like, you know, he's kind of – he's at this point, he's doing the Frank Gore thing. You know what I mean? So it's – uh there's not a lot of upside. I don't think even if he can stay healthy and then you have the question of, can he stay healthy? And then the other point you made, like they're probably going to add someone, right. Or they're going to let some of these other guys work in. So where I think, you know, Ingram could give value is if we knew for sure all of a sudden that Alvin Kamara was going to be out for the first six weeks of the season, then I think you could make a case and we'd have to see who they sign, but we would know, we would know like what they're going to do with their roster. But at that point I might think, okay, fine. You know, I'm in whatever round, like round 14 or something, I'll throw a dart, you know, at Ingram if I was super light at running back to see, you know, maybe he can help me through the first few weeks. But I have a hard time envisioning him being able to carry that any, you know, for very long, maybe not even six weeks. Like that would probably be a lot to ask, you know, for a back that's that age. Even if we knew, let's say Kamara's suspension gets dropped. We know he's out for six games. 
Like, are we moving Ingram past like Isaiah Spiller and Daryl Henderson? No. And what's going to happen is the market's going to go there. Yep. And then, so all of a sudden, like, it's just going to be a, he'll just be like on our avoid, <laughs> you know, so if, if and, I, and I have taken him at the end of some of these drafts I have on, on more RB needy teams. So if you're going to do it with Ingram, probably do it now sooner rather than yeah later. that's the takeaway do it now while you can do it late on the right roster but you shouldn't be trying to fit him on a roster like yep. you should be man how can i get mark ingram on this roster and we know most of you are not doing that that are listening to this you're probably <laughs> thinking why would we ever do that Dwayne? you're an idiot you wouldn't so just ignore the last thing i said but i think you know your point's the most accurate like if you're on a running back needy team you're at the end of the draft and you want to throw something at it you can doesn't mean you know it's not like a lock that you got to do it but he's at least a player you have in the queue all right, tier five, muddle pecking order makes it tough to ass- assess standalone value or handcuff potential. These are the five teams that I just think we don't even, we really know which side is up at this point. So I'm not saying we need to completely stay away from these situations, but we really need to try to get a better grasp. We, as in me, since I'm one freaking writing the article on uh, these uh, running back rooms before, we're too confidently, you know, trying to attack the pecking order. So with the Atlanta Falcons, yes, starter Cordero Patterson. Behind him, though, we can't just assume Tyler Algier, a fifth-round pick, is going to beat out Damian Williams, Quadri Allison, and some of these other guys. When Cordero Patterson missed time last year, it didn't just become the Mike Davis show. They rotated usually three backs during each and every opportunity they got. So, yes, if we find out for sure it's Tyler Algier, then okay, that's fine. And where he's going, kind of in the RB5 range, I'm not completely against it. I also wouldn't completely write off Dame Williams' chances of seizing that job. With the Cardinals, yeah, the, the Daryl Williams thing never made sense. I'm happy we we're on the right side of history with that one, Dwayne. I mean, who knows? It's a veteran minimum contract. If he seals up the number two role behind James Conner, great. Pretending like he's going to get the Chase Edmonds role is an awful big leap of faith in an offense that just gave James Conner $20 million. What happened the last time Chase Edmonds was out of the picture? They just gave James Conner all those snaps. I'm not convinced that Daryl Williams is going to step in and make anything different with that. We have Eno there, who apparently was the better player in OTAs. And who knows, maybe six-round running back Keontae Ingram factors in as well. It really does seem like an open competition for that RB2 job where, hey, if James Conner gets hurt, man, your guess is as good as mine as terms of who's going to be that lead back. In Houston, this is like, we don't know the starter at this point. Probably Marlon Mack, but we got Rex Burkhead, Damian Pierce. I think Royce Freeman might even still be involved. Only once all of last season did a running back in Houston finish higher than the PPR RB20 in a single week. That's arguably the ceiling we're looking for. You could argue Damian Pierce has the best three-down potential, but man, Dwayne, if he couldn't carve out a three-down role at Florida, I do struggle to think he can do it on the NFL roster. But on the other side of things, if there was a roster he could do it in, might just be this one. Also, Jacksonville Jaguars just need to know what's going on with James Robinson and that Achilles. I know Snoop Connor has been a moderately popular, you know, last-round pick potentially based on James Robinson. I would say, though, Raquel Armstead, He's still there, man. We did this thing last year with Dari Ogubawale. And if I remember right, Dari like had a he scored a touchdown the week everyone was on him, even though Ryquel like was basically splitting the snaps. Like maybe I'm maybe I'm not remembering this right, but it worked out for him well enough. But the point is, in the absence of James Robinson last year, it was more so a committee than one single player getting the role. So keep that in mind. And finally, with the Las Vegas Raiders, seems like Josh Jacobs is going to be the starter, but you know, it comes into just the same sort of way we're talking about New England. We have Zamir White there in the fourth round. 
Kenyon Drake still coming back from the fractured ankle, but presumably expected to be ready for week one. Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah. When these are the running backs you're adding in the offseason, that tells me you might want someone to take some of the pass downs away because of how, you know, just kind of a specific one type of skill set those two guys are. Remember, the Raiders did not pick up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. Dwayne, I know some people look at that and they say, oh, he's not going to be on a team next year. They're going to run him to the ground. I kind of look at it like they don't want him on the team next year. I'm not so sure they're going to feature their offense through him. Yeah, I mean, so just a couple things on a, on just two of these yeah. situations. Um, we'll, we'll start with the Raiders since that's where you ended. You know, I, I agree it's kind of cloudy. but And Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah, it they could be factors because, you know, this is basically, you know, this is the Patriots, right, West yeah. Coast now like with Josh McDaniels. So, but I think there are more factors if someone's hurt, right? I think that most likely what we're going to see is Josh Jacobs play the Damian Harris role, right? He's going to, he'll be the one punching in the touchdowns, probably handle 40, 50% of the attempts. You're going to have Zamir White spelling him on early downs. Um, and then I think Kenyon Drake is the do it all, like Jack of all trades back. Now, Drake is coming off of a serious ankle injury, probably won't be ready for the beginning of training camp. So we're going to have to keep an eye on him. Um, but he has the profile we like, you know, he's that pass catching archetype, you know, he's shown to be an explosive, explosive player on limited samples in the past. Like he wasn't as good when you just try to give him everything. Um, but a back that could definitely be, you know, a factor. So I'm fine drafting those guys, you know, Zamir white taking the last round of a draft, Kenyon Drake draft in, in the last round of a draft. I'm okay with them, but again, ADP is good on them. You're not having to spend, you know, a 13th round pick on any of these players. So back to your, you know, one of the best lines you have going like is hate the ADP, not the player. And I think that counts here for the Raiders. Um, then for the Texans, that's the one where I would differ. And it's just, I think everything you said is true, but Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead just don't really bother me that much. Could they make this a committee? Yeah. But I think it, I just make this one simple. I'm just going to bet on the youth. When we have a backfield that's potentially wide open for the taking, regardless of what happened, and they did spend a decent pick on him, that's all I really care about. And then I'm just going to let the cards fall where they may. Um, so if you're in the 10th or 11th round, I think Pierce is in play. I don't have a ton of him, um, but I definitely want my exposure to him. So like I would put him, you know, a tier you know, I would probably place him higher, you know, than this tier just because of, you know, with Mac, it's tough because he didn't have a lot of carries last year. Um, obviously when you're behind Jonathan Taylor, like that will happen to you because Jonathan Taylor is a complete beast. Um, so he, he, wasn't out there that much, but like when he was, he just wasn't very good. And, you know, he had a rushing grade of a PFF rush grade of 55.6 PFF receiving grade of 57.8. It, it was Cam um, Akers bad. Like, you know, it was. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah. And, and maybe he'll be, you know, better, you know, he's another year removed right from that injury. Um, but Pierce would be the one, right. I would call out. I'm hundred percent like aligned with you um, on the rest of these. You could make a similar argument for Tyler Algier, but he doesn't have the same draft capital as Damian Pierce. Pierce honestly doesn't... shouldn't. No, honestly, I probably kind of just messed up this telling up because Pierce being the top drafted Houston running back, I guess the main takeaway would, it's just so much, this, it's such a muddled backfield, even like, but, but you're one, not worried man. about the other two guys. So the way I look at no. that is like, if you got two players on the team that aren't very good, that we would never draft anyway, even if you told us they were the starter, we probably wouldn't draft them. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all I need. I'm like, okay, so we're, you're saying there's a chance. We know that the draft capital, you know, is there like, so for me, Damian Pierce really belongs in, in my opinion, I think Damian Pierce really belongs um, and you could put him at the bottom of this, but like he, like the way you wrote this out, 
I think he's more of a tier three guy. You know, well, he might just stand, not even be on here. Standalone value. If, if we just think he's a starter, then he's not even a handcuff. Like that's the argument. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, I think you're right. He's not really a handcuff, but I mean, if I had to place him with some of the other names yeah. that are similar, like I'd probably be in, in tier three. Okay. That is very fair. And I think the big takeaway here is don't drop Marlon Mack or Rex Burkhead or one of these other guys. Okay. I actually have seen that towered a few times. Like, just know if, if you're going to take one of these guys, make it Damian Pierce, please, for the love of God, do not draft Marlon Mack. I just don't, I don't see the upside there, man. I think this could be a situation like last year where what, like Mark Ingram had 22 carries of week one or something crazy like that. And, you know, this happens. We spend all summer going through all these teams and we're all fantasy football experts. And then week one comes along and, you know, Kevin Ogletree and Zach Pascal are going freaking bonkers out there and five running backs get hurt. And we got to, you know, pretend like we don't even know anything anymore. So don't. So the thing we want to watch for in Houston training camp, like the one thing, like we want to really be listening for around Damian Pierce is, you know, scouring everything we can to see if he's getting the passing down work you know, in practices, you know, and then if we see a preseason game, do they leave him out there on third down? And none of these things are guarantees, right? We're, it's really tough to read preseason. And, you know, sometimes we get more actionable tidbits than others, but like, that's the thing, like we need to know, because if you're going to play in the Houston offense and you're going to have value on a team that's not projected to win very many ball games, you need the receiving role. Like if, if you're just the early down back and an offense that might win five games, like you're base, you shouldn't be on a fantasy team. Like it, you, nobody wants that. If you're going to, draft anything off of a bad team it needs to be the passing down back so that's what we need to know around damian pierce like if all of a sudden we hear damian pierce is going to have the early down role i'll just move him down the board yeah. <laughs> like i'll be like okay great he's technically the starter but he's not going to be out there on passing downs like that's all rex burkhead like then you know maybe he eventually takes it over right as the season goes on you know but if his adp started climbing based on technically being the starter which is just the early down back like that wouldn't necessarily really be good news for damian pierce by the way, just got a small update from Ian Rapport noting that James White officially on the pup list. Also, Michael Thomas, Daniel Bellinger, and even CJ Uzoma, uh, obviously different levels of pup. But just because you're on the pup list now is fine. You can be activated plenty of time before a season. If you do start, though, it's four games this year, correct, Dwayne? Mm-hmm. Four instead of six. Four instead of six. So keep an eye on that. Wasn't Michael Thomas trying to say he was going to be ready for camp like just a few days ago? I think the the word is that he's going to be full go at some point in <laughs> at some point <laughs> at some point at some point. So so we basically don't know anything still. Okay, basically not. again, yeah. Just the fact that we're still at this point so long after surgery, I, it's, it really is. It's like, and again, I know this is we're not like trying to jump off a tangent, but like you know, Thomas. Look, we we I acknowledge the upside still, but again, like it's just I only take him past ADP. Like it's just something. It's just weird. Like to be out this long you know, with an ankle injury, yeah. it's just like, what, what happened? Like, did he really get ran over by like a tractor or something? And we don't know, you know, I mean, and then the tractor backed up over his ankle again. Uh, like this is just wild. It, it truly is. But all right, everyone handcuff running back tears again, pff.com. If you want this more in an article form, appreciate you guys tending as always, Dwayne, you have your quarterback and running back. Perfect draft strategies out this week. I can only presume that wide receivers and tight ends are next. Yeah, wide receiver uh, is in, so being edited, and it'll be out tomorrow, and then tight ends will be out early next week. So yeah, it's uh, some of some of the more fun articles, you know, to write. You know, you're kind of taking all the things that we've talked about and thought about, and 
player takes archetypes, you know, all, all these things, right. And you're putting them together and you're thinking, okay, like, and, and, and the draft, right. The drafts that we've been doing, which is why they're so important, you know, to help write stuff like this and putting it all into like one actionable spot. Like, and here's how you think about it. So yeah, it's a fun article. Dwayne and I are going to give each of those an individual podcast episode. So keep an eye out for those. After that, we're going to be having another sort of positional preview. Got a lot of time before the season starts, bringing on some great guests. So, you know, maybe try to check us on some of our rankings there. Also, we'll be having a lovely guest next week, one Ray G. He was on here earlier during Dynasty season. You know, truly just one of the more fun people I think to podcast with in the industry. We're going to be talking all things rookies with Ray G sometime next week. So make sure you guys check that out. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>